We are back. <clears throat> hey, how do you guys like the new space? I uh, spent me almost a whole month redesigning this space, and then uh, I've spent the last two months building it. No, I had nothing to do with it. Uh, Rocket Town did a great job, and uh, every time you see somebody from the Rocket Town staff, you have my permission to hug them and kiss them, all right? So give them a holy kiss. So we're back, and this is uh, really exciting. If you haven't seen me uh, with a sling on yet, uh, just let me tell you the story involves a van, uh, the ground of Uganda, and a large elephant. Um, I'll say no more. You know, we started last week, uh, if you don't have a Bible, uh, we have them uh, in the big black box over here. You can get up and get you one. Again, uh, it's a free roam zone. Whatever you need to do to keep yourself awake and engaged this morning, you feel free to do that. Whether it's to jog on the ramp back here, uh, or skateboard, or run, or get coffee, or uh, whatever you need to do. But we started last week uh, a series on Joshua, and let me tell you why we're doing this series, because this is really a pivotal time for us as a community. This is a, a page turner, or rather a chapter turner for us as Midtown. And I get this suspicious uh, notion that maybe it's a page turner for your life too. That maybe this is a significant season, not just for us as a community, but also for you. And collectively together, whether or not we're willing to stand up and take on the challenge that God's given us, not only to be His people, to hear His call on your life personally, to understand your gifts, to grasp a hold of the unique way that God has met, uh, made you, not only to grasp hold of the calling that He's placed on your life, but live out that calling with real power. But can we do that collectively together as a community here in the city? And what that means for us to be a congregation here in the city. So we're starting this series on Joshua to talk about what does it mean to be a leader? Because my prayer for you is that you would understand that God has called you to be a leader. Whether he's calling you to lead by grabbing a hold of the unique way that he's made you, and you leading out of his calling on your life and you leading yourself well, or whether he's calling you to lead your life morally well, the challenges of living in obedience to God's call on you. But some of you have also been called to be high-level leaders, to where God's given you a gift, but also a passion to lead other people. How do we grow as leaders? How do we do that? Does that make sense? Are you tracking with me? Because if we don't understand what I just said, then everything I say next is going to be kind of pointless. Are you with me? All right. Y'all like the chairs? They're back. Does anybody smell something funny in this room? Praise God. All right. Let me say this as we start this series. Because this fall, if you're willing to engage with us, if you're willing to bring your heart to the table here on Sunday morning, if you're willing to say to the Lord, Lord, build in me what you've made me for, I believe this could be a powerful season for you. Some of you are saying, you know, I don't know if I could do that. Okay, that's cool. But try. Engage with me. Because I really believe that it's easier for us to disengage. Not just here on Sunday morning. I'm talking about from your life. 
It is easier to disengage from the questions that you have about faith, the questions that you have about God, the questions you have about this community, the questions you have about yourself. It's easier to disengage and pretend like you don't care. Because if you can move to the place to where you don't care, then you get to put down the responsibility of picking up who you really are, of picking up who God really is, of picking up what he's doing in this world and in this city. It is a dangerous thing for you to say to God, God, I'm here and I'm listening. I'm just going to tell you straight up, that's a dangerous thing to do because as we have said many times, that is going to mess up your life. I was reminded of this uh, when I was thinking about Joshua because I was struck in reading the book of Joshua. His life mattered. His life mattered. And his life made a difference in the world that he lived in. And here's what I'm asking you to dare to believe. Your life matters. And you can make a difference in the world that you live in. When I was thinking about that, I was reminded of uh, Marianne Will, uh, Williamson's writings. Maybe you've heard this before. Listen to what she says. Our deepest fear is not that we're inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous, or like Kevin just said, beautiful? Actually, who are you not to be? You're a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It is not just in some of us, it's in all of you. And as we let our light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. you believe that? How do we lead? Well, Joshua, he was born a slave. Actually, he was born the son of a slave. Actually, he was born the grandson of a slave. Well, it goes back 400 years, let me put it that way. How many generations that I don't know. But it was all he knew. He was born a slave, and everybody around him was slaves. And they all instilled in him a slave mentality. And yet he rose out of being a slave to being one of the greatest leaders in history. How did he do that? What happened? And I'm going to tell you just three things before we get into the book of Joshua, which we'll start next week. We've got to understand the foundations of Joshua's leadership. Because of the same foundations, there are three of them I'm going to give you this morning. Three foundations to Joshua's leadership that we each need to embrace as we go on the journey of our own leadership. The first one, and maybe you've heard this before, Joshua was an awesome follower. If you study the, uh, the early writings of Moses, you'll find that Joshua was Moses' personal aide. For 40 years when they wandered through the desert, his right-hand man was Joshua. Joshua did everything for Moses. When Moses said this, Joshua did it. From carry my bag to I need you to go to battle for me. Joshua was there and he said yes. Let me put it another way. Because we all say, oh yeah, a great leader is a great follower. Let me put it in another way for you. Joshua said to Moses, you have authority in my life. I want you to have authority in my life. You have words for me. I submit to your authority. You know, when I was, uh, when I was 15, 
my dad came to me and he put his hand on my shoulder. And uh, it wasn't broken then. And he said, son, I love you so much that I'm not going to give you any more money. If you want clothes, you've got to go get a job. So my older brother at the time worked for McDonald's. And he goes, I know. And he goes, hey, I can get you a job at McDonald's. And I'm like, what do they pay? And this is back when, you know, you got paid like 10 cents an hour. And uh, so I go and I interview at McDonald's. And I'm interviewed by these two guys that are about this tall. They're both about 60 years old. And they're retired military. Not just any military. These are retired Marines. And they were drill sergeants their entire career. And now they were managers, co-managers of McDonald's. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. They looked at me and uh, they said, so you think you can do the job? Yes, sir. I think I can do the job. And he says, we have one request here. If you can live to that, you can have the job. You know what it was? Well, it was cut your hair, okay? Anyway, I said, no, I put it up in one of those little net things. <laughs> and they looked at me and they said, our word is law. Whatever we tell you to do, you must do it without questioning. Can you do that? If you can do that, you're hired. I said, I, I can do it. So I got there on my first day. I'm wearing my polyester blue uniform with a little fish net or whatever it was hat. And I show up and I'm like, what do you want me to do? Fries, grills, anything? Pans. Go to the back and start washing everything. What? Everything. I said everything. Start washing. So I go back and I start washing. I'm like, man, this just, this is awful. Like just, I'm getting wet and everything. And then McDonald's in our hometown was the place that everybody hung out. It was the, it was the end of the loop, if you know what I'm talking about. If any of you are from a small town, you have the loop. You know, Kroger's was the other, uh, Kroger was the parking lot. You make the loop, then you come down to McDonald's loop, the loop, all right? It's, it's the road where you, you do this a lot. You know, you pass people, you know, or maybe you've got the one finger, you know, on the steering wheel. And so... Uh, at prime time, it was like 9.30 at night, and one of the drill sergeants came to me, and he goes, Drawn, go pick up the trash in the parking lot. I'm like, no, I don't want to go pick up the trash. All my friends are out there. I'm in polyester. <laughs> he knew it. He wanted to know, would I submit? Would I do what he's telling me to do without question? You know what's remarkable is I learned something very early about myself there at McDonald's is that I hate doing what other people tell me to do. I'm not kidding you. I hate it. I hate people telling me what to do. Matter of fact, I hate anybody telling me what to do. I can see a sign that says, wet paint don't touch, and inside of me there's something screaming that says, touch it. Put your hands all over it. Speed limits say to me, break me. They do. There's just something inside of me that just cannot stand when somebody comes to me and says, hey, 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 stop, do this. I don't want to submit. Even when uh, our kids were young on Christmas Eve and we're assembling toys, I don't want to follow the instructions. This is how twisted and deep it goes inside of me that I don't want anybody, even instructions, telling me what to do. You know, in my life, I don't know about you, the word submit is a dirty word. It really is. It sounds like the kind of word that robs me from my identity and from my life. But you know, when we go to Scripture, we begin to see a whole different understanding of this word submit. 
And I'm using that word intentionally because a lot of us can say, well, I should obey or I should follow. But when submit, that word's used, it's a real stinger. It kind of bites us a little bit. But Scripture uses it. The Apostle Paul says, submit, submit one to another, constantly doing it. Paul submitted to the apostles. Many people submitted to Paul. We even see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane submitting to the Father. Isn't this amazing that Jesus said to the Father, I don't want to do this. Take this cup from me, but not my will, but your will be done. I'll submit to you. Within the Trinity, we see a submission. And it's not a value question when we understand submission. It's a process question when we understand submission. It's a process of love. It's a process of receiving. It's also a process of giving. If you study the, uh, the life of David, King David, you know, he was under the authority of Saul. And Saul was a wicked king who got so burned out on David that he wanted to kill David. And David had many opportunities while Saul was chasing him and tracking him down and trying to take his life. David had many opportunities to kill Saul. And he chose not to because he said, Lord, I submit to you. You're the one that put him in authority. Who am I to touch your anointed ones? He submitted. Could it be that God is teaching us obedience, submission, and following through others? I believe that the reason that God had David on the run from Saul is because God was killing the Saul that was in David. And until I allow the Lord to begin to kill that in me, that rebellious part of me that says to God, and he uses McDonald's and drill sergeants and toys and all kinds of stuff in my life to, to, to pinpoint and to bring out that rebellious part of me that is rebellious even against him. But he wants to put that to an end. For me to be a great leader, I first must pour the foundation of being a great follower. And so let me ask you this question. If you have a pencil, I want you to write this down. I ask you three questions today. Here's my question to you. Who has authority in your life? Who has authority? Let me put it this way. Who do you follow? Who do you look at and go, I'm following you? Let me put it in a different way. This may be more striking. Who in your life has the power that when they speak, you will listen. Even if they say something you don't believe, you'll say, well, I'll stop and I'll check my own heart and what it is that I believe because your words have that much power in me. Who? If your answer is nobody, I'm worried for you. If nobody has that power in your life, it's funny because when my boys were teenagers, one of them still a teenager, when they were younger teenagers, they would want to go out on a Friday night and they would say, come on, Dad, we want to go to this party or we want to go to this. I'm like, no, 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 you know, I'm, I'm really concerned about that. And here's the line they would say to me, Dad, don't you, what do you think? Yeah, some of you are teenagers, all right. Don't you trust us? And my response to them is, what worries me is that you trust you. And if nobody is speaking into your life, you should be worried that what you're saying with your life is I don't trust anybody but me. 
And when I don't trust anybody but me, then who I am following is me. No one else has the authority to speak to me. That's a dangerous place for a leader. Because if God puts you in that place of leadership, I promise you, you will be one arrogant leader that people will suffer under your leadership. Okay. The second thing we need to pour in our foundation. First is following. The second is faithfulness. In Exodus 24, 13, this is the story of Moses going up to the mountain, Mount Sinai, to receive the Ten Commandments. Listen to the story. Then Moses set out with Joshua at his aid, and Moses went up on the mountain of God, and he said to the elders, Wait here for us until we come back to you. Aaron and her are with you, and anyone involved in a dispute can go to them. So what is he saying to the people? He says, Hey, y'all all hang out here. I'm heading up to the mountain. These guys are in charge. I'll be back in a little bit. Well, when Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. For six days the cloud covered the mountains, and on the seventh day the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. To the Israelites the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. Then Moses entered the cloud as he went up on the mountain, and he stayed on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. Let me go back to verse 13. Then Moses set out with who? Joshua. Moses and Joshua are going to the mountain. They go and they camp out for six days. On the seventh day, the cloud descends like fire on top of the mountain and calls to Moses and says, come on up. Moses turns to Joshua and says, stay here. He goes up into the tip of the mountain. And Moses is not with the Israelites now, and he's not with Moses. He's in no man's land in the middle all by himself. And he's waiting for 40 days. Have you ever camped out for over a month? And every day you're wondering, is this the last day I've got to sleep there? I mean, think about it just for a minute. We're waiting really can bring out the worst in us. I mean, think about what you may be waiting on right now. What you would love for the Lord to just come in and sweep in and do. Waiting creates fear. It creates anger. It has a way of exposing doubts, unbelief. If you don't believe me, you know, you should go shopping with us. If you ask my wife right now, uh, do I like going shopping? What would you say, Renee? No, she does, she knows me. Because when I walk into the mall, it's like someone sucks the oxygen out of the room. It's almost like you have to hold your breath for me. And I run in, I've got about a five minute lifespan inside the mall. <clears throat> I don't know, does anybody understand that? That you walk in and just there's something in there. I think they put it in the air that just, it just takes the energy out of you, you know? I see people I know and I don't even want to talk to them, you know? Because I'm just dead in the mall. But Renee loves to go to the mall even when she's not buying anything because she loves to see fabric and touch it and the colors and the music. It's an experience for her. So this has happened occasionally. Honey, you go ahead and go in. I'll wait here for you. She could be in there for 10 minutes and it would seem like 10 years. Because waiting is hard. But it's vital for us. Let me explain this as a leader. 
Because any time that you stand up and say, I'm going to take leadership in my life morally, or I'm going to take leadership in my life with the gifts that God's given me, or I'm going to take up the mantle of leadership in this community, some of you have gifts of leadership that we desperately need for you to come out of the shadows and step into the journey with us. There's a whole community of people this morning that gathered early. They were awesome. That are bringing leadership that makes it available for us to be here to worship on Sunday mornings. It's incredible. But if you're going to step into that journey, you need to learn the gift of faithfulness. In other words, you need to learn how to wait. You need to learn how to persevere. If any of you are parents here this morning, or if any of you ever want to be parents here this morning, trust me, waiting is one of the greatest gifts that God can give you. Because as a parent, sometimes that's all we have is waiting. That I am trusting that, God, you are faithful. That you are the one that's faithful. I don't see your work here right now. But I am waiting. My eyes are on you. And as a parent, that's one of the greatest gifts that we give to our children. Is, I don't know how to fix it, but I will never give up. I am present, and I'm not going anywhere. not giving up. I came across this. Some of you have heard this. This is the story of a man that, uh, that I know you probably know. When he was 22 years old, he failed in business. So he decided to run for political office. And, uh, and when he was 23, and he failed. He got defeated for a run to the legislature. Then he decided to go back into business when he was 24. And guess what? He failed at that too. Then he ran for legislature again when he was 25 and he actually succeeded. But as soon as he was elected, the woman that he loved died. And then at 27, he had a nervous breakdown. He decided after he recovered two years later from his nervous breakdown, he was 29 years old, that he would run for Speaker of the House. He lost. So then he ran for elector at 31. He was, he was defeated. Then he was defeated for Congress when he was 34. He did win an election when he was 37 to Congress. Then he was defeated for Congress at 39, defeated for Senate at 46, defeated for Vice President at 47, defeated for Senate at 49, and then he was elected President of the United States when he was 51. Talk about persevere. Abraham Lincoln. He had so much failure in life that he was able to persevere. Then I came across this. This is another, if you know who John Wesley is, great evangelist, early America, the great revival. This is from his journal. Sunday morning, May the 5th, preached in St. Anne's, was asked not to come back anymore. <laughs> Same day that night, May 5th, preached in St. John's, deacon said, get out and stay out. Sunday morning, May the 12th, preached in St. Jude's. Can't go back there either. Sunday, May 19th, preached in St. Somebody Else's Church. Deacons called special meeting and said I couldn't return. That night, same day, May 19th, preached on the street, kicked off street. <laughs> Sunday morning, May the 26th, preached in Meadow. Chased out of the meadow as bull was turned loose during service. <laughs> <laughs> Sunday,
Sunday morning, June the 2nd, preached out at the edge of town, was kicked off the highway. And then that night, June the 2nd, afternoon, preached in a pasture. 10,000 people came out to hear me. Romans 5 says that perseverance produces character and character hope. What is waiting doing in your life? God is using it to forge something like steel in your soul. Hope. In Hebrews 12, it says that we are commanded to run as those with perseverance. Why? Because we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, which takes us back to follow. I run with those with me that are my mentors and my elders and those that are speaking life into me so that I can learn to run with perseverance. In James 1.4, it says this, Perseverance, listen to this language, folks. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Why is God putting us in places to where we have to learn the gift of perseverance and waiting? Because God is eager for your maturity. He's eager for you to be complete so that when you step into God's call for your life, you're stepping in with the power He has given you to live out that call. While Moses was on that mountain and Joshua was camping all alone, you know what the Israelites were doing? They were making a golden calf. Joshua was the only one that waited. And I'm promising you right now, if you're willing to step into this journey of leadership, it's a lonely place sometimes. Because it may feel like you're the only one that's waiting. So here's my question too to you. Where does God have you in a place of waiting this morning? Where is he teaching you perseverance? Are you receiving that lesson? Point three. I couldn't come up with another F word here. <clears throat> Follow, you know, faithful. And the third one is worship, so you can write it worship if you want. You know, the triple F. In youth ministry, you used to call that the triple F threat, you know. At this event, there will be friends, food, fellowship, you know. No, friends, food, fun, you know, triple F. Okay. Monster truck. <laughs> WrestleMania. Triple F. It's really powerful because this is in Exodus 33. It's a picture now of Moses when he came down from the mountain and he was living with the Israelites. He'd set up a tent that he called the tent of meeting. And he would go out to the tent of meeting. Now Moses, this is Exodus 33 verse 7. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp. Some distance away he called that the tent of meeting. He would go there to inquire of the Lord. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and they stood at the entrance of their tent watching Moses until he entered the tent. And as Moses went into the tent, the pillar of the cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. So you see this. Moses is coming through the camp. Everybody comes out and they stand at the entrance of their tent to honor Moses going back. They watch him go up to the tent and the cloud descends on the tent. And whenever the people saw that the cloud, the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they all stood and they worshipped each at the entrance of their tent. You notice how they're standing at a distance worshipping God. And the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. Then Moses would return to the camp. Listen to this. Moses would talk to God face to face. Who's constantly at his side? 
Hey, with me here? Earl would be always there. That's Joshua in Hebrew. No. Joshua, always at his side. Listen to the next. Moses would talk to God face to face, get up from the tent, and go back into the encampment. Next sentence. But his young aide, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Get this, folks. Joshua had followed Moses, and he had watched Moses encounter God and come down off that mountain glowing because he'd been in the presence of God. And Joshua made a decision at some point in his life to where he says, it's not enough for me to watch it. I want it. It's not enough for me to know a lot about God. God, now I want to know you. Joshua didn't just watch Moses worship. Joshua became a worshiper. It became a part of his life. You know, it was simple. And I'm going to ask you this simple question. Are you making time to worship in your life? Is this the only time you worship the Lord? Are you making time in your life to worship the Lord? Are you spending time in His Word? Are you spending time growing in prayer? Are you giving God, God authority in your life? A number of years ago, uh, I got to watch, uh, be at an event where Jack Hayford, you all know who Jack Hayford is? Uh, you know, our theology in many ways is very different, but he intrigued me because he talked, uh, oops, sorry, that's embarrassing. Uh, you know, he was preaching on how God humbled him by teaching him how to dance in the presence of God. And I'm like, wow, okay, that's intriguing. I'm all in. You dance before God? What was awesome is he talked about the theology of dance and how God was saying, why don't you do it? And at the end of his sermon, he did it. I'm like, dude, do that in private. Do not do that in public. But listen to what Jack said in that sermon, and I still remember it. That was like 12 years ago that I heard and got a chance to meet him. He said this, your worship will determine what flows from your life. Your worship will determine what flows from your life. Let me put it a little differently. What you worship will determine what you flow from your life. Because trust me, you are following something. You're submitting to something in your life. Trust me, you're faithful to something in your life. And trust me, you are worshiping something. What does your life reveal that you worship? What gets your time? What gets your love? What gets your money? What gets your life? What are you worshiping? What is worthy of you? That's what worship means. God, you are worthy. What is worthy of you? J.I. Packard said this, Our concerns must be to enlarge our acquaintance, not only with the doctrine of God's attributes, but with the living God whose attributes they are. It's not just enough to come to Midtown, enjoy the songs, say, yeah, Randy's okay, you know, he's got a few jokes, I liked how his sling broke, you know, in the middle of the service. How do you know God? That's why we worship outside of this place on Sunday morning. In your living rooms, in the shower, in the private times where it's only you and God. Because God wants you to know Him. So, follow, obedience, submission, perseverance, worship. Why are they so important to a leader? Let me hit this point really quick and then I'm through. When Moses was on the edge of the promised land, they were slaves that had left Egypt. They were standing at the verge of going into a land that God had promised them. 
He decided to send 12 sets of spies into that promised land. And he says, go see what you see and come back and tell us. So these spies had returned from spending a month or two wandering through the promised land. And they began to report. The first 11 teams stood up and they said, oh yeah, it's sweet. Oh, you wouldn't believe, man. It is, they called it milk and honey. All right? A land flowing. It's rich. The soil, everything is awesome. But, big but in the Bible. But, they're giants. There's no way we can go into that promised land and take it. We're like grasshoppers in their sight. And they're so numerous. And they have walled cities. Are you kidding me? There is no way we can leave this desert and move into the promised land. So the people were discouraged. They were looking at Moses and they were saying, what kind of a leader are you, man? You let us out here to die. We need to kick you out. And they literally said this, let's elect a new leader that will take us back to Pharaoh. He said that. Hey, we hate your leadership so much, we want a new leader that's going to take us back to slavery. And then Joshua stood up. Why do we need those three things in foundation? Because there comes a moment in our life where we need to stand up. This was Joshua's moment. Listen to what he said. The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land. A land flowing with milk and honey. And will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord. And do not be afraid of the people of the land. Because we will swallow them up. Their protection is gone. But the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. See... Joshua and Caleb, they saw the giants, but they saw something else. They saw the promise of God. They saw something bigger than the giants. They saw that God said, I promise to give you this land. It's amazing because they were followers of the promise. They were also faithful to the promise, and they were worshipers of the promise maker. And so it was easy for them to speak the promise that was given to them. So let me stop and ask you this question. If you were one of those spies, what would you have done? What would you have done? Would you have come back and stood with Joshua and Caleb? We can take the land. Or would you have said, dude, no way. Are you kidding me? This is way too difficult. Let's go back to Egypt. They got Starbucks there. Well, let me tell you the promised land that God's calling you to look at right now. It's in Romans chapter 10. This is verse 1. He says, Brothers, my heart's desire and pray to God for the Israelites that they may be saved. But I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they do not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness Christ is the end of the law, so there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. What does that mean? Well, first he says, hey, it's not enough for you to be zealous. It's not enough for you to be pumped up. It's not enough for us to leave here and going, yes, we're all going to be leaders. Who's with me? Goldfish. Some of you got that. All right. It's not enough to get fired up about that. We need more than just zeal. We need more than just trying to be like Joshua. He says in that passage, submit to God's righteousness. What does that mean? And here's what's beautiful. 
Here's the promised land I'm asking you to look into. What we have failed to do in obedience, in perseverance, and worship, Christ did it for us. What we are inadequate to do in all the gifts that God has given us, Christ has done it for us. If you're sitting here this morning going, man, I stink as a leader. Wow, man, I have failed in every capacity. I understand. Or if you're sitting here saying, man, I rule as a leader. I understand your arrogance. I understand. But there's something greater that we need to lean into, submit our lives to. That's the righteousness of Christ. What does that mean? Every sin that I have ever committed, everything that I have mishandled, everything that I should have done that I didn't do, every way I've come up short, or every way that I've exceeded expectations and gloated in it and took all the glory for it, and all the ways that I've abandoned the ways of Christ, all of those things are condemned. They're condemned because God is the condemner of sins. He condemns sin. But here's the beautiful thing is that God knew we could not handle that condemnation, that we'd never be able to walk in the power of what he's calling us to do if we're people living under the shadow of condemnation. So he took all of that and he poured it out on Christ. He condemned Christ on our behalf. He poured it all on him. Every bit of it. Christ took all that condemnation. That's why when he was on the cross, he said, it's finished. It's finished. So we that are in Christ now, we stand as those that are uncondemned. There is no condemnation for me anymore. Because I stand in a place is the righteousness of Christ. When Christ died on the cross, he not only took all my sins and paid for all the sin that I committed, he also did something through the resurrection, which is he gave me his righteousness. He gave me his uncondemned person because Jesus was without sin. He had no sin to pay for in himself. He was pure and perfect. And so he gives me his life of righteousness and he took on my life of condemnation. He who knew no sin became sin so that I could become the righteousness of God. Okay, I've heard that before. How's that a promised land? Live like you're forgiven. When shame and guilt and I can't do that, when that starts to rise up in my throat and it becomes my identity, I am saying like the 11 spies said, I can't claim that promise. It's too big. God has no condemnation for me. He's taken all my sins and removed them. He calls me son. He put his spirit within me. Now he says that he is with me. He'll never leave me. He'll never abandon me. Everything I need for life and godliness, he's given me. And all things, I am more than a conqueror, that his strength is sufficient in my weakness. Do you hear the promised land? Do you hear it? Yes? No? Yes? Okay? Are you gazing into that promised land? What kind of spy are you? Are you stepping up and saying, yes, Lord, I believe. Not in my power. Joshua couldn't take the promised land, but Lord, I believe in your power. What you have done, how you have changed me, and what you're causing me to live in. Listen to what it says in 2 Corinthians, and this is verse, chapter 3, verse 18. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect 
the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. We are being changed into his likeness. It's the gospel that allows us to submit because Jesus has submitted to the will of the Father. It's the gospel that teaches me to persevere because of the faithfulness of the one who loves me. It's the Lord that teaches me to worship because it's the Spirit of God that's within me that's crying out, Abba, Father. Okay. That's about all I have to say, so let me ask you a couple of questions here. The first question was, who has authority in your life? Who are you practicing following with? The second question is, where does God have you waiting? And are you waiting well? The third question is, what are you worshiping? Let's pray. Lauren, it's just so beautiful that we sit here in this new building that sometimes is a little too cold and now feels a little too warm. I thank you that we are more than a building. And we are more than the comfort that we might want or not want in a service. And I know that right now, Father, you, you are calling us out. Because there is just too much at stake, Lord. There's too much at stake for us as people to live in the power of your love for us. There's too much at stake, Father, for us as a people to walk in the power of who you've created us to be. There's too much at stake for us to live in fear that robs us of living who we are. So, Father, help us this morning. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.